There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you very much, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio high above the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in beautiful downtown Chicago. I am an internationally certified coach specializing in career management, skill development, and career crises. And we have a wonderful guest today, and he is a Hall of Fame coach. Coach Pat Sullivan has dedicated his career to inspiring people, helping them to discover and capitalize on their personal strengths. And in more than four decades of collegiate and high school coaching, Coach Sullivan touched thousands of lives and impacted a new generation of leaders who today succeed in a wide range of business and civic capabilities. And as I mentioned, Coach Sullivan is a Hall of Fame coach he retired after 34 years as a teacher and men's basketball coach at the University of St. Francis in Joliet, Illinois. And with more than 500 victories at USF, Pat led his team to first or second place finishes in the Chicagoland Collegiate Athletic Conference, the CCAC, 15 times in an 18 year period and advanced to the NAIA National Tournament in 1994-1996. Coach Sullivan knows what skills are, how important they are, and he's here today to share his thoughts with us. So welcome, Coach Sullivan, to It's All About Skills. Charlie, it's honored to be here. Fantastic. And best, probably the best way to start here is just to tell us about your coaching career, how you got started, and that sort of thing. Sure. Charlie, uh, when I got out of college, there was a school near Joliet called Providence High School. They were only three years in existence when I got there in 1965. And a, a real good thing there, the athletic director who hired me, this was great for my background, Charlie, his name was Tom Deeden, and he may have been the best teacher in the building. He was an English teacher. And so any coach that came in to work with Tom had better perform in the classroom or Tom would get rid of you. You know that it was, it was education first, and then it was our athletic program. So I stayed there 10 years, loved it. And then my coach, uh, from college, a fellow named Gordy Gillespie, who is the winningest coach in the history of college baseball, decided to leave Lewis University, come to the University of St. Frank College of St. Francis at that time, now the university. And Gordy asked me to, to come with them. And um, they wanted to throw me out a number of times, but I stayed 34, <laughs> 34 years. Fortunately and uh, for them, fortunately. <laughs> 
so it was uh, it was again a, a a great time for me, and I actually served Charlie. We'll get into this later too, as the assistant to the president for a while, the athletic director and the athletic chair, in addition to coaching basketball for those thirty four years, and then basketball gave me the opportunity through a company called Medalist Sport Education, bought by McGregor, which some people know that that name in sport. And ultimately it was the Milwaukee, Buck camp, Milwaukee Bucks camps. And then with the, an organization called the USA Coaches, I had the opportunity to travel the country and do clinics and camps with arguably some of the best coaches, basketball coaches in America. Then Charlie, we were able to take what we learned in those clinics and camps to Europe, to Austria, to Belgium, to Ireland, to Greece. So that little nine inch ball, uh, it took me to a few places. Wow, wow. You know, coach, uh, one of the things that impressed me the most about your career and so forth is the fact that 172 of your 176 college seniors graduated. That's far beyond what most college coaches can say. And that must be something for which you're extraordinarily proud and you should be. Charlie, we, we are. And I, I, I think again, that all emanated from the era that I grew up in coaching mm -hmm. because I, and I had the privilege of working with UCLA's John Wooden, North Carolina's Dean Smith, El McGuire from Marquette. And the one thing that happened in each of those three programs, the players graduated. Wow. And I think that's a little bit of a sad thing today. Now we've got all this money in sport. We've got the one and done rule. And, and not that the education is put on the back burner. It isn't. But it's not what it used to be. Because they, we didn't have those rules. And, and I thought an extraordinary thing was Michael Jordan. Jordan came out after his third year at North Carolina because they knew he was going to be drafted so high. So he hadn't finished his degree. Well, if anybody didn't have to go back and finish a degree in terms of being able to feed his family, it was, it was Michael Jordan. But he went back to North Carolina and finish that degree because that was the culture. So that's what we tried to uh, emulate at St. Francis. Our kids weren't gonna play in the NBA. We had one NBA scout come out in my 34 years to look at one of our players. That was it. They could play in Europe, but not in Spain and Italy and the countries that paid big money. But they had the experience of going to Europe, which was certainly worth it. But, uh, they were going to have to make a living. Yeah. So it was, it was preeminent for us that our student athletes get their degrees. Yeah. And that was the culture we, we, we set. That's really impressive. And, you know, uh, you think of uh, coaching in a small school that they don't get a chance to play with the big boys. But I think you told me a story where St. Francis had a chance to go out and lock heads with uh, the University of San Francisco. How about sharing that with us again and what led up to that, that sort of thing? Well, Charlie, I think the way I have to begin is when you play, and we played Utah, we played Creighton, we played Colorado, we played a lot of the big ones. 
because their coach was stupid to bring the kids into all those tough arenas. But in, in, in general, the bigger schools will give the small school a guarantee, a certain amount of money that can pay for the expenses and maybe you get a little bit to throw in your budget. And what they're doing essentially is buying a win. So the small schools understand that and and the big schools understand. Well, this particular year, we did have a pretty good team and we killed them, Charlie. We beat them by one. (laughs) Not even in overtime. (laughs) And not even in overtime. And I guess I should say this, uh, watch the difference. They had two seven footers. They had a 6'8 power forward who was just a tough kid. They had two jet-quick point guards. And watch this to top it off. They had the last pick of the first round of the NBA draft that year at the wing. So our biggest kid was (laughs) (laughs) 6'6". And that's another nice part of the story. There was a guy who played for Bill Walsh with the 49ers and who coached with them. And his name was Kaz Banizak. Well, our 6'6 guy was his nephew. So Kaz came to the game, Charlie, with his <laughs> Super Bowl rings and, and all that. And I think he was as proud of his nephew, Marty, and the game that Marty played against the seven footers oh uh, as he was at the Super Bowl wins. So really, that must have been a thrill for them. And it it was a kind of a real feeling of success. Well, and then for an old guy like me, when we're practicing in the gym the night before, there's the retired numbers of Bill Russell, Casey Jones, great Celtics, and Bill Cartwright, who played with the Knicks and the Bulls. Those are the three numbers they had retired. And so to come into that arena and to, to, you know, to get the win, it was it was special. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, coach, you know, you were also a teacher as well as a coach. I guess there's probably almost the same thing in some cases. What are the most important things that you hoped your students uh, whom you coached would have learned from their experience with you? I would say both in the classroom, Charlie, and we called our, the gymnasium our classroom because coaching ultimately is teaching. And what I, what I still believe in, the fundamentals. You know, you got to get the fundamentals of reading, writing, and arithmetic to move on. And in basketball, you had better know some footwork, passing, dribbling, all this, well, your program, all the skill work. So that would be the first thing that I would say from a technical viewpoint. More importantly, I think there's lessons from sport that you take into life. And real quickly, I think the main ones are work, teamwork, discipline. Um, How about this one, Charlie? The ability to listen. You learn that in sport. And then how you want to integrate kindness and toughness. Now, if I could elaborate, we had some practices in terms of work at six in the morning. And the reason we did that, well, it's the only time we could get to gym, but, but also, 
Also, I wanted the kids to get up out of bed, get in that gym and be ready to work at 6 a.m. Because when they get their jobs after school, if that boss says, hey, we got a special project, we need you at six, we need you to stay till mid, do it. You got to learn how to work. And then when it came to teamwork, I love this from the Celtics, Bill Russell. When the Boston Celtics walked into a gym for practice or a game, they took their individual egos. They left them at the door. But what they brought in was their team ego. Everything was about team, nothing else. And then my dear friend, El, Mag El McGuire, when it comes to discipline, El used to say, now, if we win the championship, there is a chance that we'll cut the nets down with switchblades. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good and, the other, and the corollary to that was that, but we'll be the most disciplined team in America. <laughs> and his teams were disciplined. And then when it comes to listening, Charlie, I can recall some championship games that I was privileged to coach in where they came down to two seconds. We have an inbounds play. There's two seconds left to go in the game. Now think about it. If one kid doesn't listen, the play is going to break. Yeah. So how important is learning how to listen? And it's a two-way street. We as coaches listen to the players, but it's so important for them to learn the skill of listening. And the last one, I believe this, competition is tough. Trying to win is tough. So when you're on that floor or you're on that field, you do have to perform with toughness, mentally and physically. However, when you step off the field, we tried to say to our kids, we want you to be men of character and we want you to treat the people with whom you interact with nothing but respect and dignity, graciousness and kindness. And we'd say, if I work on campus and you're walking around in an arrogant way, guess what? I'm not going to come to see you play. I wouldn't. <laughs> so we tried, we tried to integrate those two skills. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. And, you know, they are skills and they're not hardcore academic subjects, but they're part of the critical skills. Tell us, uh, look, how, how are those things important to their lives after they left college? Well, I, I, I really, I'll take my, I have four children or five children, four daughters and a son. When my son, Pat, went to work for IBM, Charlie, having that great opportunity right out of college. However, he was a marketing major. So when it came to the skills of the computer, he, and there were 56 in his class, he was behind those guys. Class went from eight till four for six months. For six months, Pat got in at 6 a.m. So he could catch up with the skill work of the, you know, of, of the people whom who he was in the class with. And then interestingly, and this blew my mind, after the first year, only three of those, that class stayed with IBM. Now, because a lot of them had great opportunities, of course. Yeah. But with Pat, he had the skill of being able to present 
from his marketing classes where he had to give up, get up and give prison business presentations. So, but if he had been there at 6 a.m. getting the, those computer skills, which his dad never has gotten. So I think work is critical, Charlie. And then you got to be part of a team, don't you? Oh, In yeah. fact, Fortune 500 companies, they did a study, and this really surprised me, of what do they look for, what criteria in hiring? They came up with 13 criteria in order of importance. And they had things like critical thinking, problem solving, presenting. Charlie, the number one thing they said they looked for, teamwork. They looked for people who could come in and be part of a team. So I think all the lessons of athletics, you better learn to listen, you know. And, and, and arrogance isn't going to take you very far in any company. So I think all the lessons, they're big lessons. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned teamwork and you mentioned listening and then how your son uh, learned how to speak. That's the communication skill. And those are two of the most important critical skills you can have. And which of those uh, and maybe others do you attribute most to your success as a coach? The first thing I would say is this, I had, I consider this a great opportunity. In my collegiate years in the summers, I worked hot tire roofing, I worked some iron working, and those jobs taught you the importance of work. Yeah. You know, when you're doing that hot tire roofing, you better be on that floor and sit on the roof at six and ready to go. When you're doing the iron, you know, so I think that was the, the number one skill for me, Charlie, like I mentioned earlier, in trying to coach basketball and serving as the assistant to the, like you do in small schools, yeah. you wear many different hats. So for me to read a film, to really study an opponent, it took me three hours. So it was not unusual for me to get to work at 5 a.m. And you'll appreciate this. Yeah. From five to eight, no interruptions. I could really study the film. At eight o'clock, when my other duties came in, they were pretty much replete with interruptions. And I learned this from a professor at Notre Dame. He said, for, for 26 years, I complained about all the interruptions I had at work. In my 27th year, I realized the interruptions were my work. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before, Coach. I heard, yeah. But I think you're right there. How about it? When people come in to see you, you know, they want to see you. And you got to, I think, give your attention to them, whatever thing you're doing. I worked for a principal who became a bishop in our, in our faith. And he had a sign on his desk. None of us is smarter than all of us. And then his second sign was, people are more important than things. So if he was working on the budget, that thing, and one of the students came in to see him, he put the budget down. So, we, you know, you learn from everybody you work with, don't you, Charlie? Oh, you sure do. You sure do. And then, Coach, you know, during your career and so forth, you uh, were faced with the problem sometimes of 
hiring assistant coaches and so forth. And when you did that, you know, what did you look for in terms of the qualifications? You know, stuff that were might have been not on the position description, but things that you look for in a coach that hopefully would make that assistant coach successful. And I think these things were more important than what was on the list, yeah, you know? Yeah, then and the, um, whatever we call it, when you go out with your requirements. The first thing I looked for, Charlie, was he has to be in concert with our two main principles. And if he isn't, I'm not gonna hire him. He has to believe that we're gonna try to bring people of character into our program. Because like I mentioned, I, want, I don't want jerks walking around campus. We want people of character. And the second thing that coach better be in tune with is we want our kids to graduate. Okay, so if you don't if you don't understand that's the culture, then you, you're just not going to fit in. The second thing that I look for, I really didn't want coaches who were going to be yes men, who were going to regurgitate what I believed in. I wanted coaches whom I could learn from, who would say, "Hey Pat, I think we got a better way of doing that," and and. And then, Charlie, um, they, they had to be workers. You know, they had to be hard workers because you're not only coaching every day with the practices and games at the college level, you're out recruiting. So, unfortunately, that takes a lot of time. So, so not being yes men, being concert with character and education. Uh, and, and, oh, I know, in the last one. That, that's why I wanted to hire, if I could, former head coaches. Ah. If, if I could get an assistant, and, and think about this, Charlie, they, they call it an 18-inch move. When you're the assistant and you become the head coach, that's an 18-inch move. And there's a plethora of things that change from being the assistant to the head. So think about it. When I could hire a head coach, a guy who had been a head coach, I knew he had been in my seat. And I knew that during games, he could really concentrate because he had to. And, and I knew I was going to learn from him. So we really, that was a big premise if we could get it done, get a former head coach. Yep, that sounds, and, that sounds that's, that's interesting. That, that sounds like a pretty smart move. And Charlie, I had one guy who was with me for 13 years who had been a head coach and another who was with me for 24 years who had been a head coach. How lucky was I? You were lucky. You were lucky. Very lucky. You won a lot of games too, Pat. But we were very lucky. We had guys, yeah, you got everybody on the same page and that's so critical. You know what? During our, during our conversations before today, you know, we, we discussed those eight critical skills that a person needs to succeed. And two of them, you've hit pretty hard. And I'm wondering if we could go back and revisit them a little bit. One, the interpersonal skill, which is really the teamwork skill that we talked about. And uh, talk a little bit about, again, the importance of teamwork as it applies to not only your pay players, but uh, to your coaching staff as well. Charlie, for our players, here was a story. And of course, we wanted the coaches to hear 
practice too that we often used. Jerry West may have been the best shooter that I ever saw play basketball. Stephon Curry may be changing my mind today. But Charlie, Jerry West played 14 years in the NBA. Played on one championship team. I had tickets, believe this or not, for the whole Jordan era for the playoffs. So I saw Michael during all those playoff games in the, you know, at the United Center and then the old Chicago Stadium. And he's the best I've ever seen. I think you could make argument that among the second best would be Oscar Robertson. Same as West, 14 years in the NBA, one championship team. Bill Russell played 13 years in the NBA and the Boston Celtics won 11 championships wow. during his 13, 11 during his 13 years. And, and here, here was the key, and I believe this, any coach that thinks you win because you're such a smart coach, you better check your oil. You win because you got talent. Okay, <laughs> You better have talented players. But talent, how about this, Charlie? Talent alone isn't enough. Yeah. It's got to be talent that's willing to play together. Because there's a lot of talented teams out there, but they don't mesh. Now, the Celtics knew they had the talent. They also knew they were willing to play together. In 13 years that Russell was there, the Boston Celtics made two trades. Hmm. Why break up, right? Talent that, that wants why fix it if it ain't broke, right? That's right. And and, and it wasn't broke. They had the most important thing of, of any sport, talent, but willing to play together. And then with our coaches, it was pretty much the things I reiterated, that for teamwork, they had to be on, on course with our kids being kids of character. And when they don't per perform or do something that's out of character, let them know. Let them know. We're not going to accept that. And that you're here to get your degree. And all the coaches I had, fortunately, believed in that. And they were hard workers. And they weren't yes men. Charlie, let me say this, too. You know what we did at halftime? Right. At halftime. I would go by myself. And I would try to just, you know, get in a room by myself and think about, okay, what should we, what are the, we never gave the kids more than three, usually two things that we wanted to work on in the second half. They're a little bit fatigued. The games are tough. Don't give them too much. So I would go and try to ascertain which would be the two or three things that I think we should do. The assistant coaches, they would assemble in another part of the locker room. They would decide what are the two or three things. Then we'd come together and you know what happened. Sometimes I would say, you know what? Your idea is better than mine. Yeah. We're going to do these two. Other times I would say, guys, I appreciate what you're saying, but I think that these two things are going to be the more important. Now, here was the key to that. After the game, we get beat. Okay. We get beat. Never once did the coaches come to me and say, Pat, that was a stupid decision. Why didn't you go with ours or vice versa? I would never go to them and say, you know, we, I did what you guys said and we got beat. 
We never, that never happened, Charlie, because we all knew we were a team. Yeah, that, and that's, that's uh, a tribute to the concept of you enable them to tell truth to power. And, yes. And that enabled you to be more successful in the long run. Didn't work sometimes, but right. in the long run, it did. And Charlie, here's another thing I learned with that, that you never know where the best idea is going to come from. We had to beat a certain team to get to the Nationals. We had four coaches, three assistants, myself. And I would say not demeaningly, but one of the coaches just didn't have a lot of experience. So of the four, he would have been, you know, the least intelligent basketball guy. Well, he came to Coach Sullivan with an idea to beat this team that we had to beat. Charlie, the first thing I said to him, that was the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> I went home. I went home that night and I said, you know what? He might be right. We did what he thought of. My other two assistants and myself, who were allegedly better basketball men, I, I can only speak for myself. I never would have thought of that. And it was the single thing in that competition that got us to the nations. Wow. Wow. Hey, well, let's, let's do a little reflection. Okay. 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 So, you know, let's just, uh, you're coach Pat Sullivan and you've had a fabulous career and you're, uh, you're an elder sage now who's learned a lot of lessons in life and you've accumulated vast knowledge and experience and you find yourself in a quiet room and a young person walks in, you know, a, one, a young person who's contemplating it, a career in teaching, not necessarily that, but it might include coaching. What advice would you give this young person as the sage Pat Sullivan? Well, one of the uh, most intelligent people, Charlie, that I've ever been around was Coach John Wooden from UCLA whose teams, I don't think they'll ever be matched what UCLA did. Seven national championships in a row, 10 in the last 12 years he coached. And because of our friendship a little bit, he came down and spoke at St. Francis for us. Brilliant man. He wrote a poem that I think answers what you're saying. It, it was titled, They Ask Me Why I Teach. And the refrain in the poem was where could I find such, such pleasant company? So I would say that to the kids. If you're looking to teach, it really is a, a great profession because you're, for the most part, you're really around good people, people you want to be around. Yeah, and the second thing- You've influenced so many lives. Yeah, well, that's the second point, Charlie. Yeah. I love what Einstein said when he said, the only reason that I can think we're here is to help others. Well, I think all of us can look back on teachers who inspired, who really helped us. Now that young man, that young lady has a chance to help a whole lot of people during their career. That's fabulous. So let's, let's, let's do another uh, little scenario here and pretend that you're you're going back to Providence High School down in New Lenox, and you're giving a high school graduation address. You want to give some of these graduating seniors, not just the athletes, but all the seniors, you know, three or four real gold nuggets 
of advice from the experience you've had in your life, what would those gold nuggets be? And you're not limited to just three. Okay? No. I, I, I've got three. See what you think. Number one is respect and dignity. You r respect and dignity. You treat everyone you meet with respect and dignity. And this is a big one, Charlie. This used to anger me at St. Francis. Not many, but we had some, some professors who treated the maintenance people very poorly. And that really bothered me because here's how I felt about it. Hey, buddy, if those maintenance people weren't keeping this college presentable and clean, we wouldn't have any students. So don't be denigrating them. Now, the opposite, see if you like this one. Uh, a guy I coached, Mike Brennan, went to Chicago Board of Trade. Very well may have been the most respected man at the options board. Mike had a great career there. Now, when the guys he was working with would talk about where they went to school, some of them Harvard, Yale, you know, all the big schools in the country. And they would say to Mike, where'd you go to school? He'd say, well, St. Francis. And they would say, what's that? <laughs> Who ever heard of St. Francis? And watch this, Charlie. Mike would say to him, we did something at St. Francis that I'll bet you guys never did once in your four years at your school. Did you ever have lunch with the president? Our president used to come down and periodically would just pick a table and, and sit with the kids to get feedback on what they were hearing. And he knew the name of everybody in maintenance. No job was too small for Jack. And then the second thing, I think that is good. I really think this is good in a graduation speech. Failure. Failure. Tell us about failure. Yeah. Tell us about Yeah. Okay. I think we all fail. Don't we? We fail in our professional lives. We fail in our personal lives. That's why, Charlie, I'm against giving everybody a trophy. I think better education is let them fail and teach them how to deal with failure because they're going to meet it. And I love this expression, your FQ is more important than your IQ. And your FQ is your failure quotient. Mm -hmm. How often can you fail at something and have the resiliency to get back up? Yeah. And, I, and I thought Pat Riley said it best when he said, success is getting up one more time than you've been knocked down. <laughs> one more time. And, and so I, I love this too. How do you deal with failure? Two ways. Number one, you learn from it. And maybe you can turn that failure into an opportunity, yeah. but you, you learn from it. And I think the second thing is probably harder to do. Move on. It's over. Yeah. You're not going to change it. So learn from it and move on. And then with success, we've already talked about my feelings there, the success is never owned, it's only rented, and the minute and it's rent to dues every day. And I would try to say to the kids, once you have some good things happen, okay, that doesn't mean anything. You got to continue every day with what you did to get there. And the biggest thing, like I've seen with some people when the success comes, 
for gosh sakes, don't get arrogant. Don't get arrogant. Just be grateful that you have it and continue to bring your lunch bucket to work. <laughs> that's great. Well, that sounds like the kind of advice that you would also give uh, to some of these young people who go on to become leaders, maybe even president of the United States. Would there be anything else that you'd want to give advice to them? I, I think, Charlie, that the, the first thing I would say to them, understand this premise. You can't do it alone. No leader, I don't think in the history of mankind has done it alone. So I would say develop the strongest team that you can. And like I said with other head coaches, don't be afraid of hiring people who are smarter than you Oh yeah. Be because you're going to learn from them. So get the best team that you can. And then the second thing is listen to them. Listen to them. I know I could back every decision when I served on our cabinet at the presidential level at St. Francis that our president ever made. Didn't agree with some, but I could back every one of them because Jack listened to everybody. He had to make the decision, right, Charlie? He had to answer to the board of trustees, not us. So Jack had to make the final decision. But he was an unbelievable listener. And the last thing I would say to them is this, effort. That effort is never enough. What it has to be is consistency of effort. Yeah. You got to be consistent with your effort. None of us are going to have our A game every day. No way. But the great ones, I feel, as athletes, as leaders, as coaches, they can reach down and every day they can find the best that they've got that day. And you know what you've just said, basically, and the advice you've given seems to me in, in, in sort of a summary is basically the story of Coach Pat Sullivan as a teacher and as a coach. I'm sorry, Charlie, I didn't hear the first part. Um, what you've said here about what advice you would give and, and how mm -hmm. you live your life and that sort of thing seems to be exactly what you've done as Coach Pat Sullivan throughout your career. Charlie, I hope so. I, uh, I learned, like I mentioned, my college coach, the principal who became a bishop and the president at St. Francis. In fact, I wrote a book called Attitude, the Cornerstone of Leadership. Charlie, I featured those three guys. Yeah. Because that's who, you know, you're always learning. Yeah. And can I share one last thing? Then? Oh, absolutely. Okay, see if you like this. From John Wood. Talent is God-given, so be humble. Fame, people getting to know about you, is man-given, so be thankful. But conceit is self-given, and you better be careful. Yeah. Oh, terrific, <laughs> advice. terrific advice. John Wooden, yeah. My golly. Well, hey, finally, Coach, uh, based on what we've discussed and whatever else comes to mind that you have and that, that you think our listeners might be interested in, what would, what would some of those uh, things you think they'd like to hear? Just kind of sum well, it up. Well, I, I, I know you, you're, you work, have studied a lot with Thomas Jefferson. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of him, you know, one of the things that he said, he said that, that the success of a democratic republic depends upon the population or a population of educated voters. So what do you think he meant about that? Uh, well, I, 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 I wanted to start with this on Thomas Jefferson. Um, all as I know is he was a lot smarter than me because President Kennedy, I think it was scientist, Charlie, he invited the smartest um, scientists in America into this room in the White House. And he began, he began his talk by saying, we have the smartest men that you can assemble sitting in this room right now, with one exception. When Thomas Jefferson came in here and dined alone. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard that a long time ago, but I never, never get tired of it. I love that expression. That and I think that, I, 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 here's what I think. I think that Thomas Jefferson really believed in the opportunity for everybody in America to get educated, not just the wealthy and the privileged, everybody. And, and that way he felt that you're going to have an, an, an educated populace because when you have dictators or despots or something like that, just a few people running government. It's not, it's not going to hold up. It's got to be run by the people. Now, here's the last thing. When he says educated, I hope he believed in Mark Twain. When Twain said, don't let school, don't let school impede your education. <laughs> because I think there's a lot of educated people out there, a whole lot smarter than me, who didn't go to college. But they study, they study government. Oh, yeah. And they probably learned a lot of the things that we've talked about today and what uh, the young people learned on your basketball team. They have wisdom. Yep. My dad had a sixth grade education, Charlie. And rightfully so. He had to go to work. It was a depression. And he could bring home some money. Oh, yeah. My dad had more wisdom than any PhD <laughs> that I ever worked with. Yeah, wisdom. Well, Coach, we could go on for all day, but uh, hey, I want to tell you uh, how much, what a great pleasure it has been for me to oh, have you, you. Uh, Coach Pat Sullivan, as our guest uh, today here on All About Skills. And I want to tell everybody that you can get in touch with Coach, Coach Sullivan on his website, uh, which is coachpatsullivan.com. Again, that's coachpatsullivan.com. Now, he's a terrific motivational speaker, so get in touch with him. Bring him to your school, bring him to your events and so forth, and he'll turn you on. And as for myself, I'm, I'm just an internationally certified career coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, and career crises. And you can get in uh, touch with me through my website, charliejetcoaching.com. And again, I want to thank Coach Pat Sullivan for spending the time with us today. It's a terrific pleasure. And I want to thank all of you for listening today. And, and we'll see you next time that we put out a podcast and discuss the critical skills and their application on It's All About Skills. Thank you, Charlie. Pleasure to be with you. Here's the five. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.